Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all. Lovely to be back here. It's a great privilege to share God's word. So when I was asked to preach on the law from Psalm 119, I thought, how long are you going to give me? (laughs) But I'm going to read from a short passage, and I hope when we finish this morning that all of us will know that this is a psalm that teaches us so much about our faith, about the law, and about Jesus himself. So we're going to start, and we're going to read from Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commandments, for there I find delight. Turn my head toward your statutes, and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. (coughs) Fulfill your promise to your servant, so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How long, how I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. Rachel told us earlier on, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in our Bibles. And it follows what is called an acrostic pattern. That is to say that it follows the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order. The psalm itself has 22 sections with eight verses in each one. The authorship of this psalm has been generally ascribed to David, but in fact, we don't know who wrote it. Modern studies would suggest it wasn't David. But what we can say is that it was written over a long period of time. The psalm was probably written over many years, but the psalm reflects the author's love of God's word and his laws. Within the overall body of this psalm, there are eight words which are often repeated. Law, which is used 25 times. Word, in this instance, the Hebrew is Debar, is used 24 times. This is the idea of the spoken word, God's revealed word to man, proceeding from his mouth and revealed by him to us. Judgments are used 23 times. Testimonies, 23 times. Commandments, 22 times. Statutes, 21 times. Precepts, 21 times. And another version of word, Imra, is used 19 times. It's a similar meaning to Debar, but yet different term. The word may denote anything God has spoken, commanded, or promised. This morning, I just want to focus on verses 33 to 34, which is denoted in the Hebrew letter, he. Many commentators state that this section is really the author's overall plea to God for guidance in his life. And it is the same for us today. It is a plea for God's guidance in the way that we walk. As we start to study this psalm from a New Testament perspective, we remember that the author himself was thinking about the Old Testament laws as laid out in the five 
first five books of the Torah. Do these still apply to us as Christ's disciples? No, not in exactly the same way. Jesus, in his ministry, fulfilled these laws perfectly. He is the only person ever to have fulfilled these laws exactly as God required them to be fulfilled. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, Jesus says to us, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's quite a difficult passage. I don't have time today to go into that in great detail. But this passage tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law on the cross when he said, it is finished, it was accomplished. This was said before he accomplished everything. What does that mean for us today? In Romans 3, 19 to 26, we see that no one can be justified by keeping the law because we will fail in our efforts to keep it. It's impossible to keep the law. In fact, we are justified by faith in Jesus apart from the law. In Romans 7, 6, Paul states... We have been released from the law. He goes on to say in Romans 10, 1 to 4, that Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Jesus, having established his deep respect for Scripture, goes on to bring out the deeper meaning of several of the commandments with a series of statements that you have heard, but I say to you, in Matthew 5, 21 to 48, rather than setting the law aside, Jesus shows that the full meaning of the laws as intended by God was actually only fulfilled by him, but that in, if we look at these, they actually are harder to obey than the original laws, the Mosaic laws in particular. How do we exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Jesus concludes this section by saying that his hearers need to be perfect as God is perfect. Just as the listeners to what Jesus was saying were amazed, so might we be. Because none of us can be perfect like God. That is why Jesus came to the earth to save us through his sacrificial death and to show us how God wants us to live our lives as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed through Jesus. We are given his spirit. And that enables us to live our lives with a deeper meaning and a deeper following of Jesus Christ. For example, 
in Matthew 5, 21, 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. <clears throat> and everyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, as we study Psalm 119 through the eyes of a Christian perspective, we too, as the psalmist, should love God's word. We should love those instructions. Now, a lot of people don't like the word obedience and they don't like the word law. Why should I do what somebody else tells me to? And we have to realize that God is not a despot. He is giving us these commandments, these laws, so that our lives become better. We all long, don't we, to see the kingdom of God come into this world right now. We long to have that kingdom of God within ourselves, within our congregation, within our church. And that can only come by being obedient to the words of Christ. Christ is the one who teaches us the way we live. His righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. We are his disciples. We have his imputed righteousness. Our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. But we need to continually work at our sanctification throughout our entire life. We can only do that with the help of the Holy Spirit and with God's word. God gave us the dummy's guide to living. This is the book. If you don't read it, you won't know. The section we are looking at today, as I've said already, starts with the Hebrew letter he. And this is used at the beginning of verbs in the Hebrew language to make them causative. Therefore, the prayers in this section have the following meaning. Cause me to learn. Cause me to understand. Cause me to walk. And so forth. Verses 33 to 40 can be split into three sections. The first one, verses 33 to 35, is a prayer for instruction in righteous living. 36 to 37 is God's word and the problems of material things. And thirdly, longing for revival from God's word. As we explore these things this morning, think about these as ways of increasing our righteousness, our obedience, strengthening our faith as we follow Jesus Christ every day. These are as relevant to us today as they were when these were written on paper. Following Jesus Christ is not easy. It is very difficult. Anyone who says to me as a Christian, well, it's just a crutch, Jesus, it's just an easy way to live, <laughs> you don't know the half of it. So if we look at the first section, a prayer for instruction for righteous living, it says in the psalm, teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the paths of your commands, for there I find delight. Verse 33 teaches us that the psalmist stresses his great desire 
keep the way and the word of the Lord his God. If God would teach him, he would persevere and keep the way to the end. Do you have that same desire burning in you right now? Do you want to follow God's word? Do you love God's word? It's difficult to follow it. When we look at the news, how difficult is it to pray for your enemy? How difficult is it to pray for Putin when you see what's going on in the Ukraine? How difficult is it for you to pray in your car when somebody chops you up at the traffic lights? Do we have that same desire to follow and keep the teachings of Jesus Christ? It's a question we need to continually ask ourselves. And will you do that for all of your earthly life? No matter what goes on in your life, how difficult it might become, or what you see happening to members of your family or members of this church, will you keep it to the end of your life? Only a God-changed heart can pray this. Left to ourselves, we find it very difficult to keep to the way and the word of God much less keep it to the end. But remember, we worship the living God. We worship Jesus Christ, who is with us through his Holy Spirit. We are never, ever left alone, ever. He tells us in Philippians, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good The psalmist prays as one who's received this will and now prays for the doing of it. It's easy to read it in here. It's another thing to do it in a practical sense when you're facing somebody. Often we come into church, how are you? Great, and you move on to the next person. We never wait to hear what somebody says and then give them the time that they need. Verse 34 speaks to us of needing understanding without which we could not about what were the desires of our transformed hearts. We need understanding to persevere in our faith. Spurgeon said of this particular verse, the understanding operates from the affections. It convinces the heart of the beauty of the law so that the soul loves it with all its powers. And then it reveals the majesty of the lawgiver and the whole nature bows before his supreme will. Now many of us think about God's laws, the commandments of Jesus in quite that way. Verse 34 says, despite our delight and desire for God's word, we know that we cannot walk in God's path without God's empowering, without that presence of the Holy Spirit. And Philippians says to us, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. In order to fulfill those commandments of Jesus Christ, we therefore need to be born again, and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us now, we're, one thing all human beings are really good at is grieving the Holy Spirit. 
We don't listen to him. Sometimes we ignore him, even though we've heard him, because we don't want to go that way. We don't want to go the way that Jesus wants us to go. But thanks be to God that he doesn't give up on us. He doesn't say, well, if you can't be bothered, I'm not interested in you guys anymore. Off you go. Jesus loves us. He loves us no matter what we do. If we love him, he will continue to help us chisel at it. I don't know about you, but I can speak personally. I keep a journal, and I can go back five years and go, I still haven't learned that lesson. I'm still doing the same stupid thing I did then. How much more would it be if we actually obeyed what we hear? The next section is looking at God's word and the problem of material things. Now, for us, in this society, in this day and age, this is probably the most important part of the whole psalm. Turn my heart toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 36, this is where we get serious temptation in our modern lives, in this society. We have so much choice. It's easy, we just turn to our phones, turn to the television, go to the theater, the movies. So many things will draw us away from God and God's word. Sanctification is a lifelong process. God says to us, be holy because I am holy. Learn to walk on the way of holiness. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But our enemy wants you to stop walking, turn round, or even give up. And how does he do that? By temptation. Verse 36 shows that the psalmist rightly understood covetousness as a threat to walking away from God. A heart inclined towards God's word is satisfied with what God gives us. I want that new car. I want to get an electric car, but I don't want a little one. I want a nice big one that's going to go 400 miles, so I covet it. I look at what my neighbor has. Well, I quite like a house like theirs. I like the way they've done their garden. For the first time, the psalmist is actually confessing that he has a potentially divided mind. So do we. I'm sure we can sit at home and look at what we've got in our homes, what we use, and realize sometimes, well, if I sit on my phone looking at stuff, is that time I could be spent in the presence of the Lord? Is it time I could be praying for friends, for neighbors? Is it time I could be out evangelizing people? A few years ago, I was on a business trip in Philadelphia, and I, Sunday morning, I need to go to church, I'd like to go to church, and is quite often the case in the United States. Um, I walked around the corner from the hotel I was staying, and there were three churches, all in a line, all looking very grand and very glorious. I've never been a big fan of huge churches. I feel a bit lost, so I thought, I'll pick the smallest one. So I went into this small church. I received the 
best Christian welcome I have ever had. The entire congregation stood in line to meet me at the end of the service. I've never, ever had that. I thought, I'll sneak in, sit at the back, no one will notice me, and I noticed Pastor Brad clocked me as soon as I walked in, waited till the service started, and then made me stand up and introduce myself to the whole congregation. Talk about embarrassed. But the congregation, as I looked at them and met them, I thought, these are the people Jesus would go to. It was a multi-ethnic church. There were lots of disabled people, noisy kids, old people, very young people. And afterwards, we shared a meal. And I said to him, you know, I don't mean to be rude, but it kind of looks like you've got all the bits that the other two churches didn't want. And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, that's exactly what I've got. He said, the big church on the left only wants people that earn north of $150,000, live in this part of the town, and have this type of car. And he said, the church on the other side basically want the same thing, but they don't want any newbies. They don't do evangelism. They don't want all the hassle of having to run courses and do discipleship. He said, what they're interested in is being seen to be successful and having lots of money in the bank. So immediately they disqualified themselves from being churches. And unfortunately, although there are many, many churches in the United States, many of them follow that kind of thing. Verse 37 is very key. It says, turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. The psalmist rightly understood that some things, comparatively speaking, are worthless things. They are of no value for eternity and little value in this present age. He prays that God would empower him and enable him to turn away his eyes and attention from such things. Now I know most of you are sitting here at this time at the moment feeling a little bit guilty. Many lives are wasted because people find themselves unwilling or unable to turn away their eyes from worthless things. The modern world, with its media, its entertainment technology, brings before us an endless river of worthless things that will occupy our minds and our time. Mobile phones. For many people, they are a blessing. I personally think they're one of the worst curses that have ever been put on this planet. If you get on a train to go to London, It's very quiet on the carriage. Nobody's talking to anybody else because they're all sitting there going. And if you have the temerity to actually say good morning to somebody or try and engage them in conversation, you immediately think at the next station the police are going to come on and arrest you for being a nuisance. They are very addictive. Television, mobile phones, laptops. They are addictive. It's very hard to turn away from them. Facebook. You can sit for hours on Facebook. I know that's one of my faults. And it's very hard to say, no, I'm not doing that. I often hear a complaint from people saying, well, we live such busy lives, we need downtime. So when we have downtime, I'll go on my iPad and I'll play a game. 
ooh, oh, 11 o'clock at night. I hadn't realized I'd been on it since 6 o'clock at night. What else could you have been doing with that time? The same people quite often say, I can't hear from God. He never listens to me. He never answers my prayers. If you ignore him, which is effectively what you're doing, why would we expect him to spend a lot of time and effort trying to get us to listen to him? The Holy Spirit might be banging on your door for a long time saying, put that down. Where would you rather spend your time? On your phone, watching EastEnders, or time spent in the company of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Jesus says to us, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If we love him, we will do. We will delight like the psalmist does in his word. This is a serious issue because we have so much choice and we have to actively fight against that. There's an old cartoon, really, and it says, if you leave your house without your mobile phone, you'll go back and get it. You check your mobile phone every few seconds to see if anybody's bothered to talk to you. And he said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you go back and pick up this when you leave your house and you forget about it? How often do you check this? your messages. In Matthew 5, 29, Jesus says to us, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Of course, Jesus isn't actually telling us to gouge your eye out. He's telling you to stop looking at rubbish. Stop letting yourself be distracted. It's a tough lesson for us. We think, well, it's harmless, isn't it? I'm only having a little look. I'm not going to spend hours on it. And you can find later in the day, I've spent most of my day stuck in front of telly, stuck in front of this. But he asks him, and revive me in your way. Another prayer for revival. This time be made alive again in the way and the path of God. The psalmist wants to walk in God's way and we want to walk in Christ's way and to do it with a revived heart. He knows that we find it very difficult. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He understands temptation. It's not that he says, well, if you can't do it, I'm going to walk away. He tries to help us. He tries to encourage us. This is why church is so important, being together as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, sharing with one another, encouraging one another when we struggle. For many people, church is Sunday morning, and that's it. And that is not church. That is not fellowship. One of the things people really struggle with is these things come before Christ. They don't realize it. They can be your children, your grandchildren, television, hobby. Jesus doesn't say you can't have those. But what he's saying is they need to be in their rightful place. I come first. We have a jealous God. 
He won't share his glory with anybody else. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we are disciples, we are to be devoted to him. His law helps us to become more like him day by day. And the last section looks at a longing for revival from God's word. Psalmist says to us, fulfill your promises in your servants so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. Fulfill your promise to your servant. This isn't a prayer for God to change his word in some way to make it easier for us. Indeed, the word of God is established forever, as Isaiah 48 tells us. This is a prayer for a change in our hearts and our minds as we are servants of the Most High God. I suspect we could all do with more of this in our daily lives. We can live our Christian lives only on a Sunday. That's not true. We are due to live our lives every moment of every single day. People say, but I can't, I'm too busy. I've got work to do, I've got household chores to do. That's wrong. There is a book, a small book, written in the 1600s called Practicing the Presence of God, written by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Brother Lawrence had started his life as a soldier, joined a Carmelite monastery, and he wanted to spend every single moment of every day with God. And the way he did it was he chose to clean the toilets, clean the floors, wash the dishes, sweep the floors. He chose the most menial jobs he could find in the monastery so that he could focus on God. He was doing the job, but he was thinking of God. He was praying to God. And he actually says in his book, I had a better time with God cleaning the toilets than I ever did going into the monastic times of prayer or services. We can do the same thing in our daily lives. Do we consider how somebody we might not have seen in church is getting on if we haven't seen them for a while? Do we even know that some people don't come? Now, it seems to me, from the prayers that Rachel did, you are a congregation that does do that. But as you look around the room, are there people in this congregation you don't know very well? Do you seek them out to include them? Do you visit them? One of my old pastors said to us, look around the room right now. Look at people you don't know or people you might not like or you might find difficult to get on with and realize you are going to spend eternity with that person. So there's no getting away from them. I always used to count and say, well, that's true, but we will be perfect then in heaven, so that's a bit easier. But it's, it actually struck home to us. We sort of thought, well, we do. We come to church. We stick with the people we know. And we see people that are new, that are visiting. Oh, they only came a couple of times. Well, they only come a couple of times because we didn't include them. We didn't draw them into us. We didn't make them part of the fellowship. Somebody that doesn't know Christ well, who's seeking to actually step through that door and come into a congregation of believers, is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Because you don't know how things work, what kind of reception you're going to get. Am I going to be judged because I'm not a Christian? These things need the help of the Holy Spirit within us to actually do things that we might not necessarily want to do. 
Solomon says, take away the disgrace which I dread, for your laws are good. While declaring the goodness of God's laws, the psalmist also prayed that his disgrace or his reproach will be turned away by the merciful God. We will face that disgrace or reproach as followers of Jesus Christ. He tells us, you will have tribulation in this life. Paul suffered these. He lists them all out in Timothy. But he took pleasure in them. We expect and receive reproach as followers of Jesus. I work for the research councils, which is a government or quasi-government department. And we used to have lunchtime lectures. One day they said to me, can you talk about something that you did? And I used to work with my wife, Di. We used to work at Barnabas. And I was heavily involved in building a refugee camp for Christians from Mosul in northern Iraq. So I thought, well, that's quite an interesting thing to talk about. So I got some slides together, <coughs> did a 30-minute presentation. It was well received, but half of the people I worked with have never spoken to me since because I'm a Christian. Oh, I didn't know you were one of those. You know, and it was like suddenly I went from being Rod who sits in the desk next to a religious nutter, weirdo. Why would you do that? probably knew that that was going to happen, but I wanted them to know that I am a Christian. And these are the kinds of things that we would do. We bought the officers' quarters from Camp Bastion in Afghanistan, drove it from there all the way out to Erbil in northern Iraq, reassembled it, and filled it with Christians. There was something that I enjoyed doing. I felt immensely proud that we were able to do that kind of thing to help people but it caused people to turn against me. Are we more worried about what our family will think of us or what people will say to us if we share our faith? When you walk out of this place, how do people know that you are a Christian? How do you show the love of Jesus Christ to people around you? Standing in a queue in a shop, somebody struggling, do you talk to them? Do you encourage them? I used to be part of a home group in our home church in Brighton. We used to have this old boy, Bob, who would never stop sharing his faith. Libraries, supermarkets, on the street. And some people in our church were saying, well, I don't want to go out with Bob because it's a bit embarrassing because he never stops talking about Jesus. And you think, well, shouldn't we be doing that? Surely. And the psalm is closed by saying, how long, how I long for your precepts in your righteousness preserve my life. The psalmist is again praying for revival. The prayer comes from a heart that loves God's word. He's asking to be made alive in the righteousness of God. Do we really desire that? And we say in our modern society that we are prepared to stand apart we're not here for our benefit, we're here for God's benefit and for the benefit of other Christians. Jesus' life shows us all the way about thinking more of others, encouraging them. If we are unable to share with our family, we are condemning them to a lost eternity. How else will they know? You don't know if you're going to plant a seed or you're watering a seed or if indeed God grants you the, the privilege of leading someone to Christ. 
it's easy to think, well, I don't want to do that because it's going to be embarrassing. They're going to think I'm weird. How much do we absorb the world into our churches instead of making the world relevant to the church? It's not we become relevant to the church, it's the world to become relevant to Christ. And that can only come from us. That's why we're here. That's why we are disciples. That's why we've been called by Jesus. That's why we love him. That's why we follow him. So this little chunk in this psalm really helps us in our daily walk. Every single one of us stumble. None of us are perfect. God knows that, but he expects us to pick ourselves up and continue and try. We may stumble, but he will not allow us to fall completely. Verses 33 to 40 in Psalm 119. I'll plead to the Lord to help us through each day. It is no good you going around thinking, I can do this on my own, because as soon as you use the words on my own, you will fail. Absolutely, you will fail. We cannot do this. We cannot do this walk without the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak in each of our lives. And by following God's word, we hopefully will let that sink into us, walk in the way that we should do, and we will find, funnily enough, that our lives become so much better when we have Christ working in us and through us. Remember what Jesus said to us. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray before.